Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. We've been doing a sermon series. We like to preach in series um, just because it helps us get an idea into our minds. The experts say if you think about something and you renew your mind for about four weeks, then it becomes ingrained in your thinking patterns. And so we like to go for three, four weeks. This one's been seven weeks. It's one of our longest series, The Garden, and it's coming to an end today. And next week we're starting a new series called God's Facebook, which is going to be very interesting. But The Garden, I just wanted today to try and summarize it all and bring it to a conclusion and make it practical. I was walking and praying this morning and I was saying, Lord, what is it that you're showing me? What is it that you're wanting me to share to just summarize everything that we've learned over the last seven weeks? And I felt like the Lord said, just to share, it's not just this morning he said this, it's, he's been saying this to me for a while, but just to share that we don't have to be damaged by sin. Amen? We don't have to be damaged by sin. When we look around the world, I'm sure you'll agree with me, the world is damaged by sin. That's the problem. It's selfishness, isn't it? It's people's own desires and selfishness and sin. Everything that God says is a sin, we say, oh no, God, don't tell me what to do. But then we realize when we do those things, it damages us and it damages the people around us. And when others do it, it damages people around us. So we realize that sin is the problem, but the great news of this Garden of Eden series is we can peer in, we can look at what the garden was like, we can see what went wrong, we know already very well that everything is damaged and messed up by sin, but now we can see a way out and a way of redemption. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 where Paul is writing to Christians and he says I fear for you lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ Paul was saying to the Christians whom he loved they were like his dear children he says I'm fearing for you because just like the serpent deceived Eve and she was led astray and as a result her relationships were messed up her health was damaged she started to die she started to decay Adam started to decay their children were affected the world was affected just as that happened and all the disaster and corruption and mess that the world's in was caused by that he says be careful. I fear for you, Christians, because that can happen to you too. So let me just start by saying, what is it like? How is it different when we sin? How are we different to when Adam or Eve sinned? We know that when Adam and Eve sinned, the whole world, they were the figureheads, the authorities over the whole of creation. God had put them in charge. And so when they sinned, the whole of creation was corrupted. Every descendant of theirs afterwards was tainted by sin. The whole of the animal kingdom, the laws of physics, the whole of the universe was turned upside down and tilted on a... I don't know if the world was supposed to be on an axis at 23 degrees. Maybe that happened when sin happened. I know that animals weren't supposed to kill each other. They were supposed to eat vegetables. And yet when, when the fall happened, everything changed. Suddenly there was 
anger, there was uh, competition, the, the survival of the fittest, let's kill, let's overcome. All of this kind of crept in and even the creation itself changed. We know that the serpent started crawling on its belly, it didn't before that. We know that things changed, animals' makeup changed, the whole of creation changed, all because Adam and Eve sinned. What about us? I want to say a couple of things. Number one, Jesus came and he's called in the Bible the second Adam because he won back what Adam had messed up. Jesus won it back. So even when I mess up, I'm not the figurehead of the whole of creation anymore. Jesus is. Praise God. So I don't destroy the whole of creation when I sin. Amen? Number two. I have the Holy Spirit in me as a Christian. If you become a Christian, the Bible says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in your spirit is sealed within you like a vacuum-packed seal so that even if I sin, my spirit is not tainted. I could show you many verses in the New Testament that prove that my soul and my body are tainted when I sin, but my spirit is pure, perfect, spotless, just like Jesus, even if I sin. So praise God, that is not as bad as the Adam and Eve's fall. But when I sin, it does hurt me. It does damage me for several reasons. Number one, I cut myself off again. Just even if God hasn't cut himself off from me, I cut myself off from God because I'm turning away from him when I sin. It's like God is smiling at me with love and grace and wanting to give me good things. I turn to the sin, whatever it is, jealousy, anger, bitterness, uh, overeating, laziness, whatever it is. I turn to the sin and I say, I need you more than I need God. And because I turn my face away from God, I am receiving less of His goodness. He is still beaming love down on me, but I turn away. So number one, sin hurts me. Because I turn away from the source of life and goodness. Number two, I'm living outside of the way that I was designed to live. So it's not God being angry with me. But if I use this body that God has given me for something other than it was designed to do, which is what sin is. If I live outside of God's plan, I damage my body and my emotions. Number three, I open myself up to a bad ruler called Satan. Even though I'm a Christian, when I sin... I'm obeying the devil, and he then, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.27, has a foothold in my life. I can get rid of that by confessing, and it, the Bible says I'm cleansed from all unrighteousness. But if I don't do that, there's this little area where I've given him an open access, and he's a bad, bad thing, bad person. And number four, the fourth reason sin hurts me, is because other people um, react. When I sin, the... Just the laws of nature, even though they're corrupted, there is something in the laws of nature where if a person sins, other people will hammer them. Have you ever seen a criminal getting mob justice? Have you ever seen that? I've seen it a couple of times where a, a, a thief steals a handbag and they're running down the road and the woman shouts, stop that thief! And the crowd get him and they just start beating him. And he gets much worse than he would have got if the police had caught him. I don't know if you've ever seen that. But there is something in this world where if I sin, because I'm hurting other people, there's this revenge and this justice thing that rises up, which was supposed to be a good thing, but it's been corrupted so that now people punish 
and it's more than an eye, eye for an eye, it becomes two eyes for an eye, and then another three eyes for that two eyes, and eventually the whole world is blind. So there's four reasons why sin hurts me. I turn away from God. I live outside of the way I'm planned. I open my life to a bad ruler, and other people will be against me when I sin. But I want to say, we don't have to do it. We don't have to sin. Let's look quickly at what happened. I'm going to go quite quickly today. And some of the stuff that I'm saying today I have said in the last few weeks, but I want to summarize it for us today. Now the serpent, Genesis 3 verse 1, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, has God really said, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but not the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was desirable to make her wise, she took some of its fruit and ate, and then she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So what is sin? We like to think of sin as an action. We like to make a list of actions that I mustn't do. I mustn't steal. I mustn't do this. I mustn't do that. We like to think of sin as an action. But in the Garden of Eden, sin, please hear me now, sin was simply this, not trusting that God was good. I know this is a bit of a mind paradigm shift for us. Sin was not the action of eating the tree. It was trusting the devil knew better than God. It was trusting that God was not fully good and didn't want what was best for them. And that is still the essence of sin today. You see, we think sin is action, action, action. And so we think the answer to sin is don't do those actions. But actually, if my heart is not trusting and loving God, it doesn't matter what actions I do or don't do, I'm still in sin. This is so important. Why? Because when we sin, we think I have to fix it by being good or doing something or stop doing something else. And so we use our flesh and our self-effort and our willpower to try and be better, 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 better. But if our heart is not connected with God, it doesn't matter what we do or don't do, we're still going to be struggling and far from God. The problem was the devil said, God doesn't really know best. God had said to them, don't eat from this tree. It's the knowledge of good and evil. Up until now, you've only known the knowledge of good. But when you eat of it, you'll know the knowledge of good and evil. Now, everything in the garden was good. So how could there be good and evil? The evil part was not trusting God, was saying God doesn't really want what's best or know what's best for me. And the knowledge of good and evil, having their eyes open to that, would have been, meant, now my eyes are open, I know good, but now I know shame. I know isolation. I know um, 
being separated from God and from other people. The knowledge of good and evil, having my eyes open to it, was not a good thing. God said, you don't want your eyes open to the knowledge of good and shame and despair and death and decay. The devil came and he said, God does not want what's best for you. God's word is not trustworthy. You need to trust me more than you trust God. And therefore the eating was just... Uh, the result of what had already happened in Eve's heart. Her heart had already changed and she said, I don't trust God as the only good source in my life anymore. I, I trust somebody else other than God. And this is so important. I'm, I'm just going to ask you, please, 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 think about this for a second. I don't normally belabor a point like this, but I need to belabor this point. Friend, brother or sister, Christian, have you fallen into the trap of thinking it's all about actions? Have you fallen into a trap of thinking, if only I hadn't done this thing? Or, if only someone hadn't done this thing to me? Or, if I could just do these things better, then I would be closer to God? Have you fallen into that trap? Because I'm wanting to bring your mind back and say to you, the problem is not the actions. The actions will take care of themselves when you are passionately trusting God and loving Him with all your heart. And I really, really want you to get this. You know, when a rugby player, I've been watching the Olympics and the, and the rugby sevens, and it's been so beautiful to watch. I really like this new game that I've never watched before called rugby sevens. But when a rugby player is running full tilt with the ball, there can be three or four other opposition guys who try to stop him, but because he's got so much momentum and passion and speed, they can't stop him. Christian, if you are running fully passionately in love with God, the devil can't stop you. It's when you stop and you start looking around and you start thinking, I wonder if there's other things I need to be thinking about. What if I should be listening to this other person, this other thing? That's when you're vulnerable. And the, if, if we can just get our passion and our trust for God back, if we can reconnect, plug the plant back, back into the ground, plug the fridge back into the electricity socket. If we can get reconnected and in love with God and trusting Him as good alone. If you can get passionate worship going on in your life again, say, God, I'm forgiven and I love you with all my heart, that will take you 90% of the way to avoiding sin. The problem is the devil says it's actions. You're not doing enough. You're not being enough. You've done wrong. You can never be forgiven. He's so... He's so sneaky because, first of all, he says to you, just do this little thing. It won't mess up your Christianity. Then when you do it, he says, you are such a bad Christian. He heaps guilt after you've sinned. Before you've sinned, he says, there'll be no guilt. After you've sinned, he heaps accusation on you. He says, you're terrible. You can never be forgiven. And what you need to say is, Jesus, I'm sorry. Thank you that your blood is enough. I trust you. I'm sorry I messed up, but you are the only one who's good, and I love you, and I passionately worship you, and the devil can't touch you anymore. Amen? So that's an important one. The second one is deception. It always starts with a lie. Every time I sin, there's a lie. Let me give you an example. Let's just say you are prone to overeating. 
The lie that the devil may put in your mind is something like this. If you eat, it will make you feel better. If you eat, it'll make you feel important. That, that horrible experience you've had, those people who are talking badly about you, that fear, that lack of self-esteem will go away if you will just eat. It always starts with a lie. For Eve, it was you will gain wisdom that you don't already have. You'll have, be like God. Your eyes will be open and you'll know good and evil. He promised something. She had a, a need, a, a legitimate desire within her for food and for wisdom. She wanted to grow in wisdom. But the devil offered her a lie and said you can get it by doing it this other way. He, does, he did the same with Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted? Matthew chapter 4. The devil comes to him, Jesus is hungry, he says, turn those stones into bread. Now that wasn't a sin. Eating bread is not a sin. Turning stones into bread is not a sin. Obeying the devil is a sin. And so Jesus said, no, you must obey the Lord your God only. No, he said, live by, um, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. And I'll come back to that in a moment. The way that Jesus overcame temptation is very, very useful. Then the devil comes and tempts him with another thing. If you throw yourself off the temple, God will lift you up in his arms and look after you. Is it legitimate to want God to protect you? Yes, it's legitimate. But he was wanting him to do it in an illegitimate way, to get that need met in another way. And then the third thing, he says, I'll give you all these kingdoms. They can be yours. That was a legitimate thing. Jesus was sent to be the king of the world. It was legitimate, but he wanted him to meet it in an illegitimate way. Every need and desire that you and I have is from God and is good. It may have been twisted and, and perverted, but the devil wants you to meet it in an illegitimate way, and God has given you a legitimate way to meet that need. And the, the problem is deception. He says if you'll go for it this way, you'll get your need met. We only find out afterwards that having my eyes open to the knowledge of good and evil is not a happy place to be. Beforehand, I thought it would be a lovely place to be. I thought it would be great. I thought it would be awesome to have this need met in this way. But I find out afterwards, it's, it's a shameful place to be. There's isolation, pain, death, and, and sorrow. And it's always the same. When God gives us the right way to get a need met, and the devil gives us the wrong way. It's always deception that says, if you go this way, you'll get your need met. And we only realize later, that's a lot of pain, that's a lot of sorrow. Deception. Everything the devil does is lies. In John chapter 8, Jesus speaking about the devil. He says this, You are of, the fa of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. Well, the NIV says he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of all lies. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's always, whenever we sin, whenever we go into a wrong area of life, whenever there's an area of our lives that is outside of God's righteous plan, it's because we've believed a lie. So my first point was we need to be passionately trusting God. My second point is we need to get the truth. And the truth is not that easy to come by. The world is full of half-truths, mistruths. You know, the devil will always give a, a mistruth in amongst a lot of truths so that it's hard to dis distinguish. 
He says, your eyes will be open and you'll know good and evil. That was true. But then he said, you'll be like God. And it's a good thing to have. That was not true. There's always a mixture of evil and good in, in the lie. And we need to get to the place where we can say, God, I want to know the truth. The Bible is the best source of truth. But even that can be quite hard to understand at times. But you know, if we want to know the truth, if we seek God with all our hearts and we say, God, I really want to know your truth, he will lead us into it. I can promise you that. I've seen it in my own life. The more truth we get in our minds, the more we get reality, not what the world tells us re is reality, but what God says is reality, the more we are protected from the temptations of the devil. So I want to just go back to what Jesus did. When the devil tempted him three times, Jesus quoted a scripture three times to the devil. And I had always thought that he was quoting the scripture because that would cause the devil to stop tempting him. But I now think something differently. I think that whenever the devil tempted Jesus, Jesus was quoting a scripture, one, to tell the devil the truth, but more importantly, to remind his own heart and mind of the truth so that he wasn't pulled aside. And this is so important. I've been praying and, and really thinking and, and seeking the Lord about this. How do we avoid temptation? When a temptation comes and says, get this desire met in this way, the desire may not be a bad thing. The desire for food is not a bad thing. The desire for self-esteem is not a bad thing. The desire for love, acceptance, um, being part of a group, um, sex, all these different things. Those are desires God has put in us, but he's given us a good way to find it. But when the temptation comes and says, use this other way to get this desire met, the answer is to quote a scripture to tell the devil, but mainly to tell myself. You see, if Eve had said, let's just imagine, the devil comes and says, no, no, that's not, that's not right. God, when, when you eat the tree of good and evil, you'll be, you'll be wise and you'll be like God. Imagine Eve had known enough of the truth to say, actually, God is good and he will give me the wisdom that I desire. If anyone lacks wisdom, let, he, let him ask God who gives generously, James chapter 1. Um, God is good and every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights above. All these different verses she could have said if she'd known them. Why would she have said them? To tell her own heart, this is not a trustworthy person, this, this serpent who's talking to me. This is the way to go. We, we say scripture to ourselves to remind our minds to go the correct way. And I'm really praying for you, my brother or sister. Please get this. Please get the Bible in your heart. And you know, it's not just the devil who tempts us with lies. It's other people. Other people will say things to you that are full of truth, but then there's a little bit of error in it. And we need to be able to say, thank you. I love you, but I'm not accepting that. I, I, I'm able to love you and disagree with you. I'm able to love and respect you, but have my own opinion, because I know what's true, and I will not let your opinions sway me. And even in the church, I promise you there will be people who will say things 
maybe by mistake, maybe because they're hurt or they're confused, that are not fully true, you need to, and you will stand before God one day to give an account of how you responded to those things and say, I'm choosing to believe what's true and I'm choosing to react, reject what's not true. But I still love you. But I'm having my own opinion. Okay, I'm going to close now. My last point. Um, isolation. If Eve had just said, Adam, or God, please come and help me here. I'm having a, an unruly serpent talking to me. He's saying things that I'm not sure of. I don't know exactly what's going on. When we isolate ourselves, we open ourselves to be taken off track. Friend, please don't isolate yourself. When you walk into the kitchen and there's a bunch of bananas in the fruit bowl, which banana do you take? I'll tell you which one. The one that's already broken off the bunch. That's the banana you'll eat. When the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone who he may devour, you know who he looks for? He looks for the animal that's isolated from the herd. Friend, the coal in the fire that goes out first is the one that's fallen out of the fire and is on his own. We need each other. When we are isolated, we are vulnerable. God has made us to be part of a family and we need each other. We need each other's strength and input. And when we're struggling, we need to be able to say, brother, sister, pray for me, help me. Please show me, is this right? Can this be true? But what happens is the devil wants you to isolate yourself. And one of the ways that he makes you isolate yourself, and I'm going to close with this, is pride. If he can make you think you're better than all the other Christians, if he can make you think that you know better, they can't teach you anything. You have a special calling, anointing, path, you are on a different level. You are hearing from God on a different plane. You don't need these other people. You are the special one. He has isolated you. Because you will no longer be listening to anybody's input or advice. You know, when Paul was telling Timothy about how to choose elders and deacons, he said, don't make a brand new Christian a leader because they will fall into the same trap that the devil fell, that fell into when they fall into pride and think that they're greater than they are. It is a terrible trap. So let me, let me summarize. I have seen wonderful Christians, people who had a, a calling from God, people who had a bright path ahead of them, people who were full of the love and the passion of God, and I thought they were going to go far for God. I've seen them fall by the wayside. I'm very sad to say, I, if I started making a list of all the people who I was once uh, a peer with in Christianity and they've fallen by the wayside, side, it would be a very long list. And the reasons are, number one, often they lost their passion. They got into works and thinking it was about activity instead of loving their, their engine, the fire within them went out. They were isolated, they were proud or they were deceived. That has always been the reason for all of those people falling away. And the great news is, we have the Holy Spirit within us. We have a, a wonderful church of people. We have the Bible and we have resources 
to enable us to hear and study the Bible and not to be deceived. We have everything we need to not go the way that Eve went. But God won't force us. Just as he... Can you imagine God standing there? You know, Eve was there talking to the serpent and God is standing right next to her, although she didn't realize it because God is everywhere. She didn't realize God was listening, but he was. God could have put his hand out and said, no, don't do that. God could have put his hand on the mouth of the serpent and said, shut up. God could have called Adam and pulled him across and said, come and talk to Eve. She's about to make a mistake. God could have stopped Eve's mouth. He could have quickly sewn it together so that she couldn't eat the, the fruit. There's so many things God could have done. Why didn't he? Because he made us in his image and part of his image is he says, I respect you enough that you have the ability to choose. You, I respect you so much, I'm giving you the ability to choose right or wrong, truth or error, deception or whatever it is, to be close to me or far from me, to trust me or not. I'm letting you choose. I trust you enough with this gift and I will not take that away from you. You choose. Friend, brother, sister, today God has put a spirit in you. He's given you the blood of Jesus. He's forgiven you. He's given you every opportunity to be right with him. But he still says, you choose. When you hear a message from someone uh, of error or deception or trying to talk badly about another Christian or trying to divide the church or whatever it is, you have the ability to choose and say, I won't eat this fruit. I'm choosing to follow God. I'm choosing truth. Whatever happens in your life, whatever it is, you have the ability to choose. When you're all alone at night and you're being tempted um, to sin in some way, maybe it's a, a drug or alcohol issue, maybe it's a pornography issue, maybe it's uh, overeating or whatever it is, maybe it's bitterness, anger, backbiting, talking badly about someone, whatever it is, you have the ability to say, God, I want to choose. I want this desire to be met the right way. God, I'm calling on you. You could even pick up the phone and call me or another Christian and say, I'm struggling. God, I love you. I want to be passionate for you. I don't want to go into deception. It leads to death. God, help me go the right way. And you can overcome sin. That's the message of the garden series. That's what it's all about. That's all that we've been saying is to help you so that you don't shipwreck your faith, so that you stay on track, so that you stay part of the body, part of the bunch of bananas. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters. Lord, your word says if any of us thinks that we're standing, we need to be careful in case we fall. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would never get to the place where we fall like Eve fell, where we, where we give in to deception and something that's not true, simply because we could have avoided it, but we didn't. Please help us, Lord. I, I really pray for myself and my brothers and sisters. Lord, let us all finish this race. Let, us, let none of us be in that number that fall away by the wayside during the race. Please, Lord, please keep us on track. Please help us. Help us to stay close to you. Help us to avoid all the pitfalls and all the errors that the enemy would throw at us. I'm going to ask you now, friend, just to, just to cry out to God. Just say, Lord, 
I don't want to fall by the wayside. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be isolated. I don't want to be proud. I don't want to be one of those who believes a lie. God, I want to stay passionate for you. Thank you, God. And I just want to say one more thing. If you are here and you have sinned, there's a beautiful truth in the Bible. It says if any of us has sinned, we can confess our sins. Which simply means, God, I've messed up. I admit it. I openly admit it, Lord. I'm not trying to cover it up. I've messed up. And the Bible says he comes and cleanses, forgives us, and cleanses us from all unrighteousness, which means we can even kick out any of the devil's attacks that have come against us as a result. There's another verse that says if anyone's sick, they can pray for healing, and if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Sometimes our sicknesses are caused by sin. We can confess and get prayer and be forgiven and healed of those as well. There's redemption and forgiveness for you today. I wonder if you're here today and you say, I believed a lie or I'm in a trap of a sin or I've gone down a wrong road and I need forgiveness and help. If that's you today, I'm just going to give you an opportunity right now. You don't have to put your hand up. You don't have to stand up. But in your heart, just reach out to God right now and just say, dear Lord God, I'm sorry. Dear Lord God, I'm sorry I believed a lie. I'm sorry I've not trusted you. I'm sorry I've gone down a wrong path. Lord, I'm sorry I've become enslaved by the devil in this area. Or I've I've gone down a wrong path. Please forgive me. Please wash me clean. And Lord, from today, I want to trust you passionately. I want to be like that rugby player who runs full steam ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.